Thanks for checking out Church on the Rock's message this week. We would love to help you take your next step in knowing God better. The best way to do that is visit cotr.org slash next steps. Or if you're not near our physical campus, visit our online community at cotr.org slash online. Enjoy the message and know that God is for you. Let's open our Bible to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew. We're finishing a series called Legacy. We've been on it all month, Legacy. Encourage to get a Bible, a notepad. We're, we're learners at Church on the Rock. This is a teaching church, and we learn and we grow. Many of us, all of us have this need to be significant. Do we want to make sure that our life matters? That's man's greatest need. Other than food and water and shelter, the book called Search for Significance talks about the greatest need of mankind, other than food, water, and shelter, is the need to have meaning for our life, that our life is significant, that our life will make a difference. And that's what this series on legacy the whole month has been about, is that how God has ordained you and I. He's put us here for such a time as this, and we don't want to miss what he has for us to do. Can I have an amen? So legacy is, has many different definitions. Some say it's what you leave behind. What you leave behind. I, I like this one. It's what you leave in other people. It's what you leave in other people. Now, if you've been with us, I've defined it. I've given it another definition. Not only what we leave behind when we die, and not only what we leave in other people as we've impacted them with our light and life, because the Bible says you are salt and you are light. And did you know the Bible says you're the light of your house? Did you know that? That's in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. It says you are salt and you are light, but then it says you are the light of your household. In other words, you're to make a difference in your family by the way you live. So I like to say that legacy is your house. Legacy is your house. And your house is made up of three components. It's your life. Number two, it's your family. And number three, it's your career or calling. So your house, you will be remembered for your house or your life that you lived, the family that you left, and your career or your calling and how you made a difference with your life. That will be your legacy. If you remember on the Giving Tuesday video that we heard, they talked about their marriage. They talked about their life and how Church on the Rock had impacted them. And then they talked about their family, their daughters. And then they talked about their business that started in their basement. That's their legacy. That's their house, okay? So our house is our life, our family, our career. Your legacy also is what you think, it's what you believe, it's what you say, and it's what you do. Your, your legacy and my legacy is revealed through how we think. Are we positive or negative? Are, are we full of faith or full of doubt? Are what we think, we believe, and what we believe comes out our mouth. And what we say, then what we eventually do. 
So that's another definition. You'll be remembered for, oh, he was cynical or he or she were negative all the time or they were grouchy or they were always complaining or they were always negative or they always wanted to fight and have conflict or or they were always complimenting. They were always praising. They were always positive. They were always up in a down world. You and I, our legacy will be revealed by what we think, believe, say, and do are the house that we built, our life, our family, career, or calling. You all with me, family? So Matthew chapter 7, let's look at it on the screen, verse 24 through 28. This is where we got the name for our church, Church on the Rock, because I am an explainer and a producer. I want to explain scripture in a way that it will produce results in your life by being a hearer and a doer of what you heard taught on Sunday or Wednesday. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and you do them, I will liken them to a wise person who built their house or legacy upon a solid foundation. So notice hearing and doing the Bible, the word, the precepts, the principles, you're building your life on a solid foundation. Verse 25, and the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. Many of us right now, your house is being beaten upon from all directions. You're in a storm, you're in a season of adversity. But the good news is, if you're a wise master builder, and I believe you are, if you're a hearer and a doer, storms will come and storms will go, but you and your family and your calling and career will remain standing because you're built on the rock, okay? Verse 26, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, but you don't do them, fall asleep in church, get on my iPhone, you know, I go do something else, my mind's on something else, I'm here, but I'm not here, I'm hearing and I don't do them, I'm a foolish person, and I built my house upon the sand. So notice, there's only two kinds of people in the earth. Nowhere do I see here black people, white people, brown people, red people. I see wise or foolish people. Wise or foolish people. Only two kinds of people. But both kinds are building a house of some kind. So my takeaway is this. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, are building a house. The question is, how am I building it? Am I building it by accident or am I building it intentionally on purpose every day? Everyone that hears these things doesn't do them. They're foolish. They built their house upon the sand. Verse 27, rains came, floods came, winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell like Humpty Dumpty off the wall. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus finished his sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. All right, now let's go. Next slide, guys. Second Samuel chapter 7. If you were with me the last time we were together, we talked about this chapter where David, David, King David, had built a palace. And man, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was extravagant. But then he looked at God's house, which was a tent where the Ark of the Covenant was, the tabernacle. So David says to Nathan the prophet, wow, I have this beautiful house, but God doesn't have a house. 
I want to build God a house. The big idea, the big takeaway, is if I build God's house, the local church, where you and me is church on the rock. If I build God's house, God has promised to help me build my house, which is my life, my family, my career, and my calling. God has promised to do that. What I make happen for God, God will make happen for me. Takeaway, if I put God first, God will put me first. So let's watch it now. It came to pass when the king, David, was dwelling in his house, that the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies on every side. Can God give me the victory today? Can God give me the breakthrough that I need physically, mentally, financially, with my marriage, my family, at work, at school? Can God give me victory on every front? Am I expecting too much of God for rest on every front? I say no. I say he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. You can ask or think. Amen? Verse 2. The king said to the prophet, See now, I dwell in this house of cedar, but the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, Indiana Jones, dwells inside a tent. Verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, if that's in your heart. Now, my takeaway, the big idea God didn't tell him to build a house. God didn't make him build a house. He wanted to build God a house. Big idea. God shouldn't have to make me go to church. I want to go to church. God shouldn't make me to want to serve, sow, and share in the house of the Lord. I should want to build the house of the Lord. So Nathan said, all that's in your heart, know this, the Lord will be with you. Verse 4. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Now God is speaking to Nathan, the prophet, to talk and relay it to David, saying, verse 5, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you want to build me a house to dwell in? No one else had ever wanted to do that. God wasn't making him go to church. God wasn't forcing him to tithe, to serve, to show, to be a part, to build. God wasn't making him do that. He wanted to do that. So if I want a reward from serving in God's house, I have to have the right motive. If I want a reward for doing the Lord's work, I have to do it because I want to do it. I'm not forced to do it. If I feel forced to do it, I lose my reward. If I feel forced to serve, I lose my reward. It's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's burnt up in heaven. But if I want to do it, if I desire to do it, to build God's house, then God says, I will build your house, which is your life, your family, and your career or calling. Verse 6, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. Verse 8, wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken to anybody to build me a house? No. Verse, let's go to verse uh, 9, guys. Jump to verse 9, 7, 8, 9. And I have been with you wherever you go and have cut off all your enemies before you 
and have made your name great. Verse 10, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And verse 11, let's land here. Since that time, I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Watch now. And the Lord tells you he will make you a house. So because King David wanted to build God a house, God says, I'm going to build your legacy. I'm going to make sure that your life is a winning life, that your family will serve me all the days of their life, and that your calling and career in the marketplace or ministry, you will be successful. You want to build my house? I'm going to go to work building your house. I love that. Now, let's go to the next slide, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is important. When the Bible was written, there were no chapter and verses. So it's a continuous thought. Now, watch this. Watch what happens after David has a desire to build God's house, and then God assures him, I'm going to help you build your house. And we know who came through his house, Jesus Christ, the son of David. Amazing. But he said, I'm going to help you build your house. So what did that do? That gave David confidence and boldness to know God was with him. Watch this. And God was for him. Other people may not come to your aid to help you build a life. Others may not come and support you when you need them to help you build your family. Others may not invest in your career or calling, but God says he will. God says, if he is for you, no one can be against you. Now, they'll be against you, but they can't stop you. Are you with me? Romans 8, verse 31. If God be for me, who can be against me? Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, what talks about warfare and the armor of God, six times... It uses the word against. So you and I have a whole lot against us going on. That's why we need the armor of God. Six times in the book of Ephesians, it says the devil and demons and life and circumstances are coming against the Christian. Six is the number for man, 666. But the good news is this. When you know that you're building God's house, you're putting God first and his kingdom, then he promised you he would help you build a life of victory and success and achievement and worth living and leaving behind. And your family wouldn't go to hell in a handbasket. If they weren't saved in your lifetime, they will be in theirs. And then he's going to help you with your ministry, your career, and your calling. You know what that does for me? That gives me confidence. That gives me boldness. When we came here 40 years ago, we had nothing. We had no money. We had no support. Our denomination forsook us. Our family thought we were crazy. Our friends gave up on us, but we had a word from God to come here and plant church on the rock. And when we heard from God and God said to us, Dave, Kim, I am for you. That's all we needed to know. All we need to know was that this has been our message for 40 years. God is for us. That's carried me through four decades. Every demon, every devil, the city, 
The courts, people, religion, time, season, changes of faces and places and seasons. What's carried me through? What I'm sharing with you today. God is for me. And when that does, that gives you confidence, that gives you boldness to face and fight whatever enemy you are fighting today and win the victory. When you know that God is building your house because you are building his house, it gives you confidence and boldness to stand up, not run, not retreat, not give up, not water down, but you face your giant, you fight your giant, you chop the head off of your giant, and you win the victory. Let me show you what we're talking about. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, now it lists all the enemies of King David. Now, he was a worshiper, and he was a warrior. King David wrote Psalms, right? Many of them. He was a worshiper on Sunday, but he would chop your head off on Monday. Okay? So we're going to read through this, looking at his enemies. Now he has the confidence that God is building his dynasty. God is building his legacy. God is building his life, family, career, and calling. So he stands upright, and he faces them, fights them, and defeats them, takes their spoil, ties off of it to build the house of God. Now, I'm not going to mention their names because I'll screw them up, okay? But here we go. After this, after what? After that last chapter where he said, God, I want to build you a house. God says to the prophet, nobody has ever wanted to build me a house. What is that? I want to go to church. I want to take my family. I want to serve. I want to put God first. And he said, because of that, David, I, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to help you build your life, your family, and your career or calling. And it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, and he subdued them. And he took that guy from the hand of the Philistines. Well, he faced his enemy, and he subdued them. He whooped them. The first service of Andrew Holofield was here, and I said, you know, that spirit of fight came all over David right here. He knocked his opponent out. Verse 2, then he defeated Moab. So not only did he defeat the Philistines, he defeated the Moab, the Moabites, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those he put to death. And with one full line, those he kept alive for a slave. So of the Moabites, David killed two out of three. And the one that he kept alive, he made a slave. So the Moabites became David's servants, and he brought tribute, the spoil. He took their spoil. Verse 3, David also defeated that guy, the son of that guy, the king of that nation, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. Do you see what he's doing? He's taking new territory. He's taking back what belongs to him. I'm talking to somebody. Some of you need to take back what was taken from you. Some of you need to rise up in Jesus' name, catch the thief, and he has to restore to you sevenfold back. Come on. Verse 4, verse 4. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 
20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David cut the hamstring of the horses of the chariots, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. I mean, he's going after them. He's attacking them. He's facing and fighting and defeating his giants. I don't know what your giant might, not, might be today. It may not be the Philistines or the Moabites, but maybe it's a physical problem, a mental problem, a financial problem, a family problem, a children problem. I don't know what it is, but it's time when you build God his house. He said he promised, made a covenant. I'm going to help you with your house, which is your legacy. Amen, somebody. Verse 5. When the Syrians of Damascus came by to help that guy, the king of that place, David killed 22,000 Syrians. Man, on Sunday, he'd worship with you. But on Monday, he'd chop your head off. He was a worshiper and a warrior. Well, I wouldn't want him to be ahead of the ushers. If I didn't show up, oh, man. Verse 6. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's slaves, and he brought tribute. So the Lord, look at this phrase, the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Don't let failure hold you back. Don't let disappointment hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. Don't let rejection hold you back. Don't let blame hold you back. And don't let shame hold you back. Rise up and realize and say, I'm going to put first things first. And God's house comes before my house. And I'm going to build your house, God. I'm going to be a kingdom builder, God. I want to. You're not forcing me. You're not making me. I desire to do it. Something triggers when we do that. God gets involved in, in my house, my life. I'm not going to be a misfit. I'm not going to be a mistake. I'm not going to be a has-been. I'm not going to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda. I'm going to make a difference with my life. I'm going to leave a mark with my life. I'm going to leave a legacy with my life. And my family are, will be blessed to the third generation. And my ministry, my calling or career will be blessed in the marketplace. Because God promised it if I would build him a house. Verse 7. Verse 7, and David took the shields of gold that belonged to the servants of that guy and brought them to Jerusalem. Verse 8, also from that place and from that place and the cities of that place. You remember the sermon called that place. King David took a large amount of bronze. Verse 9, when that king of that nation heard what David and how he had defeated all those armies? Oh, my goodness. Verse 10. Then that guy sent his son to King David to do what? You know what? When your ways please the Lord. When your ways please the Lord. When your ways please the Lord. I said, when your ways please the Lord, he'll make your enemies at peace with you. When our ways please the Lord, God will reverse the curse. God will reverse the curse. God will reconcile and restore. When my ways, you know that's a scripture, right? When my ways please the Lord, he makes my enemies at peace with me. And David is pleasing the Lord by building God a house. And look what his enemies do. They run out to bless him. Not curse him, but bless him. Because he had fought against that guy 
and defeated him, had been at war with them. And Joran brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. Now, you know what he did with all this stuff, all this spoil? He used it to build God's house. Next scripture. King David also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and the gold had he dedicated from all the nations which he had beat their pant, uh, had subdued them. Amen, somebody? Can we have a praise break right now for the victory that God is giving to you? The victory that God is giving to you? Oh, praise the Lord. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians. He was bad to the bone, but yet he wanted to build God a house, but yet he put God's house first before even his house. Oh my goodness. Next slide, guys. Next slide. He also put garrisons in Edom throughout all Edom. He put garrisons and the Edomites became David's slave. Look at this. And the Lord protected him and the Lord preserved him through COVID, through tsunamis, through hurricanes, through earthquakes, through famine, through elections through layoff, through recession, through inflation. And the Lord preserved David and his lineage from generation to generation to generation. Now, guys, jump ahead, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, verse 20 and 21. As the team comes, this in closing, and the Redeemer, who would that be? Jesus shall come to Zion. What is Zion? The book of Hebrews says it's the church. And when the Redeemer shall come to the church, and unto them that turn from their transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. What does the Lord say? Verse 21. As for me, as for me, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This generation, the next generation, and to the third generation of the Blunt family, we're going to serve the Lord if not in my lifetime, in theirs. Because I have a promise. God, I have spent my life building your house. So you will build my house and legacy. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. You need to know how to claim your covenant. You need to know how to claim your covenant. You claim your covenant with your mouth. You claim your covenant with your mouth. Did you know you hold on to your faith with your mouth? You hold on to your faith with your mouth. When circumstances contradict what God says, you always say what God has said in his word. You hold on to your faith with your mouth. The Bible says, Hold on to your confession of faith. Think about it. The days that you and I talk defeat, doubt, failure, lack, and sickness are the days our faith is the weakest. Come on, don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Those days that all we do is get on the internet, get on Facebook, and we complain and we murmur and we gripe, we feel sorry for ourselves. Those are the days our faith is the weakest. But those days that we rise up and declare what God has said, if God is for me, who can dare stop me? Greater is he that is in me 
than he that is in the world. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, thanks be unto God who gives me the victory this day, causing me to triumph in every set of circumstance. Oh, I feel strong already. As for me, this is my covenant with them. Who? The church. Hello, church. This is God's covenant with you. He said, my spirit will be upon you. And my words, which I have put in my mouth, will be in your mouth. Look at this. And not only you, but your seed. And not only your seed, but your seed's seed. Three generations. Three generations. What is God's promise? God said the spirit that was on him, he put on us. And God said the words that came out of his mouth, he wants coming out of our mouth. So then what should we do as a parent or a grandparent? We need to be caring, make sure that we're carrying the right spirit, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, that what's on us will jump on our children down to the third generation. We need to make sure that what we're saying, our children will eventually be saying down to the third generation. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that or not. You think about it. You say phrases you heard your parents or grandparents say, it'll come up from nowhere, right? So it behooves us then that we need to make sure that we're carrying the right spirit, a spirit of victory, the spirit of God, the anointing, the spirit of love, the spirit of faith, the spirit of power, the spirit of might, the spirit of victory. If that is on you, it'll come on your children and your children's children. And we need to declare the word of God and eventually what we have said will impact their life. Come on, somebody. I'm done. Give God the glory. What is your next step in your faith? Well, here at Church on the Rock, we would love to help you. Maybe it's to learn more about discovering what it means to belong to a church family, being part of a small group, or using your God-given gifts to serve others. Head over to cotr.org slash next steps where you can find out more to all of these. Or if you're a part of our online community, visit us at cotr.org slash online. Have a great week and don't forget that God is for you.